Twin Lights Brewing was founded as a community-centric, environmentally-minded family operation which seeks to source and honor local ingredients, push the boundaries of the science of brewing, and spread the kind of joy that only comes from drinking beer crafted from the heart. With an ever-rotating selection of beers on tap, a family-friendly tap room that welcomes children of all ages as well as dogs, and a large, comfortable space built to host all kinds of events, Twin Lights is designed to bring the community together in new and exciting ways. Visit Twin Lights Brewing at 4057 Asbury Avenue in Tinton Falls, New Jersey, and follow them on Facebook and Instagram to stay up to date on their newest releases, merchandise, and special events. Twin Lights Brewing, the official beer sponsor of the Review Podcast Network. Welcome everybody to the. Now it's weird on my headset. <laughs> Welcome everybody uh, to the first episode of Matt and Mike Read Comics. I am Matt. With me is Mike Zapsik. How are you all out there? I could not be more excited about this. I, um, yeah, I mean, I'm very excited about this. This is the first time I've had an opportunity to uh, have my own pod with you, Mike. We've done other podcasts before. Uh, Jack Acid Flashback, of course, which we got to get back on the schedule. Oh, my God, of course. That was That is a lot of fun. That is a ton of, of fun. Um, but this is, uh, yeah, the first, first pod I'm going to have regularly going with Mike. Just a quick little bit of context how this started. I, on a... You know, decided to start an Instagram page just as a little side hobby, as if I don't have enough of those. Um, I call it Matt Reeves Comics, and every post is just me picking out a uh, trade paperback from my collection of trade paperbacks and writing about it. I give you some details about the comic itself, the writer, the artist, some in- information on the issues, and I just, you know, give you my bullshit opinion on it and see if people like it. And I thought, you know what? This would be a fun podcast to do. So I asked, I asked Mike if he'd be interested in starting a podcast where we just talk about comics, and he said, yep. And I couldn't be happier. So here we are. That's absolutely. That's absolutely right. We are. We're right here. Uh, so what? What did we do, Matt? You said, "Hey, you know what? We're going to read comics. Why don't we read the very first comic that you ever recommended? You being me, I ever recommended to you. So um, that is pretty awesome. Uh, so it was Daredevil. I had, and these are out of print these days. Are they really? Yeah. The, I'm excited uh, to have these, all three then. These trade paperbacks are out of print, and they are going to be going back to print for the Omnibus. Ooh, so they're going to have all the, all like, what, 40, 50 some odd issues in one yes. collection? Yes, that would it's going to be everything that um, Frank Miller wrote about Daredevil. I believe it's the also the um, uh, the miniseries Man Without Fear is yes. going to be in there. Not sure if it's going to be, if they're going to have... Like all the uh, ancil- ancillary ones, yeah, like the ancillary, the, the, the what ancillary. if, yeah, yeah. The, like the the what if. Uh, I'm if hoping Matt Murdock joined a, a, was an agent of Shield. Yes, he was an agent of Shield. Uh, what if Matt Murdock? Um, what if Electra hadn't died? Right. So uh, yeah, hadn't we'll died, see what but then happens. Came back. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, actually, he wanted to keep Frank Miller wanted to keep her dead. Yeah, and he was so pissed off when Electra Assassin came out. Really? Yeah, because he's like, if if someone's gonna bring her back, it's gonna be me. Damn it! And you know that that sounds like a very Frank Miller thing to do. I remember I was reading a, uh, I think it was the, oh oh, it was uh, an X Factor collection. Um, the the chronicling the return of Jean Grey, the first 
time, right? Yes. So after she died as Dark Phoenix, and there was that whole story where they made they made up the story about how her body was cocooned and you know under the bottom yeah. of the river, yep. right? Um, and the uh, some of the writers in the back of the TPB. You know, they always write some, like, letters and mm-hmm. comment or whatever. And they they told the, the – I think it was Mark Wade uh, had told the whole story about how, um, you know, it was a whole process to bring Jean Grey back to life because Huge they didn't – She process. was going to remain dead. Like, she was going to be like an Uncle Ben, never never coming right. back. And eventually somebody had – you know, they had these ideas and, and the higher-ups in Marvel were like, holy shit, that's a great idea. Let's do it. So my point is, anyway, in his little thing, he's writing about it and how it came to life, and he, he finishes it with um, – you know, so we brought back Jean, Bre- Jean Grey. We never thought we were going to. It's okay. As long as you don't bring back Bucky, we're okay. <laughs> yeah, you know what? Actually, uh, I think it was – well, I don't think it was Mark Wade. I think it was, um, if I'm not mistaken, I think you're on the right track. I think it was Mark Grunewald who was who told that story. Yes. But it was Kurt Busiek's idea. Yes. Before he became a uh, one of the, the big writers over at Marvel, he had an idea – uh, how he could bring him back. And I don't know if you knew that the original um, X-Factor was going to have Dazzler. Yes. Original X-Factor uh, was the original five X-Men. They were, but they were going to bring in Dazzler because she and, there was a Beauty and the Beast um, four-issue miniseries that had the Beast and, and Allison Blair, the Dazzler, get together and, you know, knock boots and he was going <laughs> to drag her along with. And because... Uh, that was they're like, well, let's do this, and that was one of the things that they talked. He talked about in his story too, how people because they were teasing that they were going to bring a character back to be the fifth member of X Factor, and they were having people, you know, back when you used to write fan letters and stuff mm-hmm. into the office, who was going to be, and the, and the guesses, you know, everybody was guessing. Only one, like only a few people guessed Dream Gray. Dazzler was a big mm-hmm. guess. Uh, some people said Scarlet Witch. You know, mm-hmm. there were some off the wall guesses, and of course, it ended up being Dream Gray. And they were gonna. They were also talking about Madeline Pryor, yada, yada, right, yada. Right. So, you know, ooh, Madeline Pryor. And they, they went and screwed with her, like, big time. Yep. Which is, and that was, like, one of the worst things that, I mean, talk about, like, a really creepy thing to do is to, you know, oh, it's a clone of Jean Grey. And it's <laughs> it's really not playing fair with Scott Summers, in mm-hmm. my opinion, number one. Number one, it's it's not playing fair. Scott has always been, like, my favorite X-Man. Right. There are people who love Wolverine, and you know what? Wolverine is a really... He's a strong character, but he's not... He was never that guy who was going to have his own comic book series. Right. But yet, Chris Claremont said, you know what? We're going to do this anyway. And, you know, they... It was, it was really... The way that Chris Claremont like kind of like shoehorned him in there and Yeah. He's a five foot four. He's five foot four. That's He's shorter what, than me. Yeah, and he's 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 not a tall man. Yeah. So he's supposed to be like this uh, you know, scrappy, you know Yeah, he's supposed to be scrappy do is essentially <laughs> what he's supposed to be. And Chris Claremont's like, you know what? Let's make him a ninja, and we'll make him a samurai, and we'll make him, you know, let's throw him. Yeah, we'll make him everything. (laughs) And he was originally, I mean, he was always Canadian. John Byrne, because Claremont never knew what to do with him. Right. So, I mean, and this is more along the lines of um, Matt and Mike talk comic books rather than read comic books. But this you know, is all part of the intro. <laughs> it is. This is, uh, and this is back in the '70s, folks, when there there were there was one X book. 
That's it. You you got one X title. And as a matter of fact, that X title almost got canned. It almost mm-hmm. got canceled. You almost didn't have your whole uh, bunch of, you know, your 7,000 X titles. So um, it was just one X title. Uh, Xavier was a dick. Yes. He was he was a huge, and he still is. I mean, by all accounts. Charles oh, Xavier, so, yeah. he was not uh, Sir Patrick Stewart. Right. Uh, Wolverine was an asshole. Still was, is. Yeah. He, well, I mean, he was Less much so. worse yeah. back in the day because he was like, you know, Scott Summers, what a scumbag. He doesn't deserve to lead the X-Men. Yeah. And I'm going to try to bang your wife. Yeah. and Well, yeah, your <laughs> girlfriend at the time, but still. <laughs> hey, you know, I'm Canadian. I don't really care. And I thought Canadians were supposed to be so polite. Um, I, it's not even like he asked. Like, hi, pardon me. I'm going to, you know, bang your girlfriend. Um, sorry. <laughs> yes. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I fell on top of Jean Grey 27,000 times. No, it's you don't get that from uh, he's he's this guy who's like out in the the out he's essentially out in the the woods and you know hey it's either you know have sex with your girlfriend or have sex with a tree. So <laughs> So I think I think talking about Claremont's run on the X-Men is actually a perfect segue into this because one of the things that strikes me about Frank Miller's run on Daredevil mm-hmm. not strikes me but that that I notice is that it? It's one of those times in comic books where yeah, you don't get this as often anymore. Where you have a writer and artist combination that have a extended run on comics, right? Mm-hmm. So Claremont and Byrne, very famous for their run. Right. Eventually Claremont, you know, Lee and a couple other guys. But this whole run, these three trade paperbacks, which span roughly what it's issues one fifty eight to one ninety one, is what I wrote down. Right. I assume that's correct. Yes. Um, it's all Frank Miller and Klaus Janssen. Now, in the in the for a couple issues, there's a little bit of Roger McKenzie thrown in right. early, but you know, within a few issues, Frank Miller starts to take over some of the co-plotting duties, and then before long, it's it's Frank Miller on uh, wor- uh, words and pencils, and then uh, Klaus on, on inks, and it's all the way up through the end of the run. Yeah, Klaus Janssen. Um, so that's one thing that strikes me about this because I've always felt that you get better stories that way when you have not always but it, it it lends itself to better stories when you have the same working group of artists and writers um working the same way for a long time you get to you get better collaboration you know more input and that's one of the things i think that makes this series of books so great yeah absolutely i think that uh yeah when when you get that um and and they've used the word to death but uh, i love the um the synergy. Yes. When you get a, a certain, um, you know, that electric spark between two people where they get very excited about something and they're on the same page and they start throwing ideas back and forth. You got that with, um, as you said, with uh, Claremont and Byrne. You, it, I never got that same feeling from the Cockrum run. Yeah, I would agree. Um, Paul Smith Marked it a little bit when he started, um, you know, penciling the X-Men. I was like, yeah, that's really cool. And, you know, but you got people who have a feel for a, a feel for uh, the, the characters. Right. You know, um, nobody, nobody did Wolverine 
Uh, well, Jean Grey, maybe. Uh, n- nobody, nobody understood Wolverine the way that Byrne did. Yeah. Um, nobody understood Daredevil the way that Frank Miller did, and Klaus, Klaus Jansen. Yeah, and that's one of the things I, I think is so fascinating about it is that Frank Miller um, didn't really want he Daredevil was not his first choice of a character to mm-hmm. work on. He wanted to work on Spider Man. Right. Well, who and, didn't? Of course. Right. Yeah. <laughs> My favorite superheroes. Of course. Is well aware. Um, but one of the things that drew him to Daredevil was his underdog status, right? Because aside from, you know, his enhanced senses, which is, isn't really a power, he has no powers. No. He, he's just, you know, Olympic-level Olympic athlete is the term they always use when describing Aww. these characters, right? You know? <laughs> Too bad, Daredevil, you're only Olympic-level. Cla- you know, and... <laughs> only you know, Olympic-level. I know, uh, but that's what... I know. Uh, it's, it's really funny, and around this time... And we were talking about this, um, you know, when we had our ill-fated um, over at the Shared Universe podcast studios in Red Bank. <laughs> Didn't happen, but um, this is around the time that uh, Contest of Champions was coming out. Mm-hmm. And we had uh, John Romita Jr. who did all the artwork for that. And you had all these guys. And that, to me, was like, uh, they, it was supposed to be a treasury-sized for the Olympics. And you're going to have all these guys coming together and it ended up being stretched out for right. uh, a, a three-issue series. But uh, for the treasury size, it would have been like 80 pages or 60 pages and it would have been like really, really cool. And you had all these guys from different countries. Like you had uh, the Arabian Knight. You had La <laughs> um, Peregrine from France and the Arabian Knight from... Uh, Obviously, Arabia. So, <laughs> no, from the the Saudis, uh, you know, Saudi yeah. states. But um, and you had um, other, you know, uh, superheroes like uh, Leprechaun, or uh, I'm sorry, her name was Shamrock, right, from Ireland. I mean, just they put were all just, the stereotypes. They in were there, they were right? throwing, yeah. yeah, they were like pulling shit out of hats. I mean, yeah. like right off of the tops of hats, right, Mr. Spaghetti. Like, yeah, exactly. You know? <laughs> hey, let's throw Mr. Spaghetti against the wall. He's got tentacles. I know, just, yeah. noodles. <laughs> But the, um, you had Daredevil in there and Daredevil going up against uh, Iron Fist. And that's the first time you'd ever see, like, these two guys. And you're like, holy crap, this is really cool. And we'd seen Spider-Man and Daredevil uh, together mm-hmm. before. We'd seen them since, I think, uh, Spider-Man 16? Yeah, I was going to say very early yeah, on. Very yeah. early on, uh, they, they crossed paths. And now, you know, that's when it was like a treat. Here you go. It's like you get, like, once a summer. Right. You get to go and have, like, the nutty buddy. Exactly. Little and, buddy cop action. Yes. Um, but this was, here Daredevil was becoming his own entity in his own corner of the Marvel Universe. It's not like he was going out having adventures or going to San Francisco and hanging out with the Black Widow or, you know, doing anything else. You had uh, people that were becoming his regulars. Not just Foggy and Karen Page, but you had, um, like, Turk, Mm -hmm. who worked for crime families. And you had Josie's Bar, Mm -hmm. which we saw in the TV show. And I'm like, that's great, because Josie's Bar is badass. But it's a place where scumbag, underground elements, underworld elements uh, hang around. And he'd go in there like... uh, Sort of like Batman as Matches Malone. He's like, hey, what's going on, everybody? (laughs) 
Josie's was great because jo- Josie's was like the monk's cafe from Seinfeld. That's like where right. everybody was. You always knew that, that somebody was going to be there. And Turk, Turk is one of my favorite characters throughout all these issues because he's, he, for lack of a better term, he's comic relief. He, yeah. he is just, and every time, and, and he appears a lot. And every time he's got, you know, what is the, it, it's almost like, um, it is almost kind of like Kramer-ish, right? Like he's always got some scheme, right? He's always got some scheme, and then this this time I'm gonna do like I think in one of the arcs he he has the stilt man armor, yeah. You know, like and then he and then he has another armor and another arc, and he's constantly getting his nose broken and his like teeth his knocked jaw out. broken. <laughs> yeah, he's like I can't talk about it now because it's like oh my god, he's pure comic relief. And he's he's absolutely enjoyable in every panel that he's in. And yeah, you mentioned the TV show. I mean, when you when you go back and read everything that Frank Miller did on Daredevil, and then watch the Daredevil show on Netflix, but now on Disney Plus, you're like, oh, okay, so they just they just lifted everything. Well, you yeah, know, from you, the- you get that feeling. And a lot of people forget that in this Daredevil, uh, his his main nemesis becomes the Kingpin. Yes. But he never ran afoul of the Kingpin before. Right, because Kingpin first appeared in Spider-Man comics. Kingpin was like a thorn in Spider-Man's side. Yeah. And then, you know, he was a, like such a pain in Spider-Man's dick, and Spider-Man went after him with a vengeance. Yep. And, you know, here's this huge, hulking, like six-foot-six, sumo wrestler-looking guy who, like, easily swats around Spider-Man who can lift a bus. That's, and like, holy crap. That's one of my favorite panels. I should have marked it, but it, it, early on in the first volume when Daredevil first encounters Kingpin and he, he, he dismisses him because he, you know, he sees his gigantic frame, but he assumes, or he sees, quote-unquote, sees with his radar, mm-hmm. but just assumes that, you know, he's, that, he's, that his frame, the, the, the size of his frame is fat. And there's a there's a panel where Daredevil kicks him, and he goes, "I don't know what I just hit, but it wasn't fat. It yeah. felt like stone." I know, and Kingpin's all muscle. It's 170, and it's not really. It's not early. Yeah, it is not as early as you'd think, because uh, yeah, it's 170. Uh, the Kingpin of Crime, yes, Wilson Fisk, a humble importer of spices, uh, <laughs> has retired to Japan. Which is where I guess everybody sends everybody. If you want them out of the way, <laughs> you take go to Japan. Hey, Wolverine, we don't want you. Go to Japan. Go to Japan. Yes. Yeah. Um, so he's in Japan and he's he wants to get back because he's been sort of exiled there. Spider Man, you know, made the case that he's right. the kingpin of crime, so right. he had to run. And so he's got this dossier of, you know, he's got the goods on everybody, and he's like, you know what? Screw you all. I'm coming back, and there's not a damn thing you can do about it. I'm cutting a deal with the feds. And uh, it doesn't go as well as it, you know, as planned. But think about this. That was a full year into the run. Actually, I'm sorry, two years, because it was um, – this was a bimonthly book. Right. It wasn't monthly until until it really started to pick up because yeah. that, you know, the other thing that, about Frank Miller, of course, is that, you know, Daredevil – has always he's been around since the 60s yeah. and you know his tr- career trajectory in terms of popularity popularity has been frankly up and down <laughs> he hasn't been as consistent as characters like Spider-Man you know ha- have been um and this was a resurgence for him like he was yeah. never as popular as he was until Miller took over the book and then yeah like you said it was so popular it became monthly yeah and that was that was a the thing they they gave um bi-monthly status to the their lower selling books the lower tiered books as as you would expect um and 
that was the really weird thing because if if you'll notice, there it goes from one uh, one sixty, yeah, one sixty one to uh, one sixty three. I'm trying to, yep, yeah, one sixty one, and then one sixty three, and it's the the Daredevil where he faces faces down the Hulk. Right now, this was, I mean, just a great. Um, a great showcase for Daredevil in this, not just his, you know, what he can do. Because I mean, anyone going up against the Hulk, unless you are Thor, right? You're gonna get your ass beat. Yeah, (laughs) even Iron Man got his ass beat, and you've got Daredevil, a guy with a stick. That's basically all he is. He's a guy with even Spider Man is is like has superhuman speed. Yeah, so he can tangle with the Hulk and not die, but. You know, you're like, holy crap! You know, he's going <laughs> up against the Hulk. But that uh, that gap, that 162, they had a problem getting um, the deadline met. Oh, really? Even with two months in between, you know, he. Uh, I think Daredevil came on. It was 158, 159, 160, and 161. Uh, 159, one, one, uh, 158, 159, 160, 161. That that three issue arc right was um, bullseye. Yes, bullseye put a uh, contract out on Daredevil's life, kidnapped uh, Natasha Romanoff, and used her as bait. So it's you know the you know um, it's the setup. You know Daredevil going after, and then boom, you know kicking bullseye's ass. And that was one of the things I another thing I love that he did with the character of Black Widow because when you get to the end of his run, that you know, because he, he almost makes Black Widow seem a little weak, right? Mm-hmm. In in his in in how easily she seems to be captured by Bullseye, but then fast forward to the tail end of his run, in the last few issues, there's a whole arc with Black Widow returning, and she's mm-hmm. in like that she's in that like that that eighties outfit, that weird like black and white dotted thing, the, the gray know? thing, the gray thing, yeah, with the short hair, yep. and she's just an absolute badass at that point. She's taking on scores of ninjas from the hand, mm-hmm. and just she's just kicking ass and taking names at that point, and she's resolved her unresolved <laughs> issues with with Matt Murdock the person and Daredevil and it's just this is one thing that what I love when writers do long form storytelling when it's just everything is connected in one way or another and everything kind of comes back full circle to complete the story and he and he does it with Bullseye he does it with the Kingpin and he does it with Elektra um, and, and even and even Turk and, and characters like Ben Urich in a sense like everybody mm-hmm. gets their due in this like 40 some odd issue run and it's just fantastic yes especially when he does it he comes back to him with uh, Dave Mazzucchelli mm-hmm. uh, the one like the, the born again storyline where yep. Karen Page you know jumps back into his life because Karen was you know there from Jump Street she was mm-hmm. Daredevil number one she was uh, his and Foggy's uh, legal secretary who just happened to fall in love with, you know, the blind lawyer. <laughs> Which, I'm, you know, doesn't hurt that the man's, uh, you know, he's a good-looking dude. Right, yeah. Charlie Cox-looking kind of guy. <laughs> um, and, you know, Foggy's just sitting there. And it's so funny because Foggy's like, an overwhel- uh, overweight schlub. Yeah, he's a goober. And like, yeah, he's, he's definitely a goober. <laughs> and uh, in this, we get to meet his... Uh, fraternity brother? Yes. 
Oh god, pork chop Peterson. Pork chop Peterson. They have the the like Omega Kai or whatever yeah. it was, and they do the handshake. Oh and it's dear, just, yeah, so, it's, it's cringy. It's cringy. It's cringy. It's very uh, Return of the uh, or Revenge of the Nerds. It is super Revenge of the Nerds, and you're right. Cringy is the best way to describe it, especially the uh, the issue where he gets married and he can't find the wedding ring. Yep. You know, and it, he goes like this, and it's on his. It's on. Yeah. He's wearing the wedding ring. It's on his it's pinky. Like, yeah. Oh come on. Uh, yeah, but that was really cool for a whole host of other reasons because just the the setup for that was uh, Daredevil versus the Gladiator. Oh God, so great! Yes, I know Melvin Potter. I had that name written down because I'm I I was like, dude's name is Melvin, but I forgot his last name. And then you know, of course, um, um, I I was trying to remember uh, Bullseye's name. I'm like, oh man, come on! And it's um, uh, Pondexter. Yeah, it's like literally Poindexter. Yeah, like, Poindexter. Yeah. So you're like, oh man. <laughs> They, they, when you first hear that, you're like, that's got to be a joke, right? Yeah. No, no, that's the dude's <laughs> name. Um, so, yeah, and, you know, starting out, we had him going up against the, uh, I, I mean, it starts out with the uh, Peter Parker Spectacular Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Where he, sort of a tryout, because he wanted to do, like you said, he wanted to do Spider-Man. Right. He was like, I so want to do Spider-Man. And those, um, those Spider-Man issues were very much uh, in demand. I remember they, they went for a, like a bunch of bucks mm-hmm. uh, back in the day. Now, not so much, but you know, I'm to try and find them in uh, good condition. Is you know, Peter Parker Spectacular Spider-Man, you know, kind of tough to find. That's why that's why I stick to the the trade paperbacks because I've lost my ability to you know just haggle. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> haggle. Yeah, I'll and give I, you seven dollars for that. And I love how it's Peter Parker, the spectacular the Spider Man. There, there are now, or there, I don't, not right now, but there was a time when there was spe- the spectacular Spider Man and Peter Parker Spider Man yeah. as two different titles. Yeah, and they they didn't cross over into each other, and right. you know, or very rarely did. Very rarely, yeah. I you know I love. One of the things that I, I always tell people about when I because I, I talk about Frank Miller's Daredevil constantly, um, especially considering now that it's you know with the show and everybody talks about like Daredevil's a lot more in the mainstream and you know people absolutely lost their freaking minds when he showed up in Spider Man No Way Home. Uh-huh. Spoiler alert if you haven't seen it yet. Um, well, if you haven't seen it yet, God, sucks to suck. Yeah, what's wrong yeah. with you? Um, but I, I always like to remind people, I'm like you know, Frank Miller had a a very good writing career before The Dark Knight Returns and, yeah. you know, before Sin City because so many people, you know, they, they hear Frank Miller, Dark Knight Returns, Sin City. Like, yes, all not taking anything away from any of those things. Right. But it's, you know, for me at least, especially The Dark Knight Returns, I mean, it's in other mediums, it's just been beaten to death. Gotcha. Like, this everything is The Dark Knight Returns. Everything is The Dark Knight Returns. But this, to me, like, this to me is peak Frank Miller. This is what I really like to read when I when I think about Frank Miller. I would read this over, again, not taking anything away from Dark Knight Returns, so nobody gets mad at me. No. But this is, this is Frank Miller for me. Right. I'm, I'm with you. And uh, you'll notice that uh, there's a couple of setups in here that went nowhere. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> uh, do we, you want to talk about that? Yes, let's go. All right. Uh, let's talk about uh, Judge Coffin. Yes. All right. Dude's name is Judge Coffin. <laughs> All right. That is, that's pretty badass. Uh, just in and of itself. So uh, Coffin's like, I don't, you know, he's in his thought balloons. He's like, I don't like this one bit and I don't like you, Matt Murdock. <laughs> and, um, we never see that that hatred come to full mm-hmm. fruition uh, because uh, Roger McKenzie leaves the book in 166. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it's 166. Uh, let me just double check here. 
Um, and yeah, he's gone by. Uh, Roger McKenzie's here, and the, these had to have. Uh, he had to wrap some stuff up. So yeah, it was yeah. 166 is the one he's gone at. Uh, 167, I think it's uh, Dave Mazzucchelli. Or Dave Michelin. Yeah, David Michelin. Yeah. Dave Michelin is the writer on this, and let's make sure that he's... And this one was actually a really good one, too. The um, the Mauler. Oh, the corporate espionage one yeah. with the... Yeah. Um, yeah, the corp- corporate espionage. 168. Then Frank Miller becomes the artist and writer. So he's like, you know what? Screw this uh, Judge Coffin stuff. I don't care. Um, <laughs> which I'm like, wow. And it introduces uh, Electra. Electra. That's that's where we, you know, and, and I and I feel like they also sort of left the uh, who was the other crime lord Slaughter was that his name? Yeah, Eric I, Slaughter. I think he sort of fades off. He he pops he up. He pops up once again when Bullseye breaks out of prison. Yeah, Bull, uh, Slaughter is the first person Bullseye goes to see. And then that, but you hadn't seen Slaughter for a very long time. He was very prominent early on, and then he just sort of yeah, yeah. fades away a little bit. And we don't see. Porkchop Peterson too much? No, he's like the one issue guy, and then never again. Um, what other what other loose threads? I'm trying to think off the top of my head, I can't I can't think of any There's, other. Yeah, actually, Debbie, uh, Foggy's wife. Oh, she becomes yeah. she becomes the Vera, like in Cheers. She becomes Norm <laughs> Norm Norm's wife. You know? And, <laughs> yes. Because <laughs> uh, we never see her, but we get the feeling that. Um, there's trouble in paradise there. Right. Because uh, Foggy's sleeping at the office and he's just generally not happy. Yeah. So you're like, wow, that's what's up, Foggy? <laughs> you know, and you can't really talk to him because he's, he's a two dimensional character. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, come on, talk to me, Foggy. He's like, yeah. nah, I can't really do that. He's like an NPC, basically. Yeah. <laughs> and then, even also, too, speaking of wise, Ben Urich's wife. Is very much like that as well. You most of the time you hear from her, it's on the other end of a phone call right. with Ben Yurick, and the like. The one time you do see him, it's or see her, it's Ben Yurick promising to stay home, and then he gets a phone call. Sorry, gotta go. <laughs> yeah, but there was also one other time where uh, she like uh, puts her, and she's wearing a nightie. Yeah, and I'm like, whoa, this is kind of racy. <laughs> Come to bed, Ben, and he's like, I'll be in in a second, dear. And so you're like. <laughs> All right, yeah, you go, Ben. <laughs> and Ben becomes very, very, he's hes prominent even to this day. He's very, very big, and he owns the Daily Bugle now, yeah. mm-hmm. which is an online entity, and he's um, hes very prominent in the X-Men. Well, Ben Urich, uh, that, I wanted to talk about him because he is my favorite character in this in this run you of You mean the books. supporting character? Yes. yes. Excellent, yes, I, I agree 100%. Yes. Foggy? Boring as piss. Yep. Foggy is does nothing to either help or hinder really Matt. Right. And Heather Glenn is kind of like just she's, she's a set piece, you know. She is an airhead and the fact that Matt falls for these um whiffy hundred percent. Uh, Floozies is the term they would use back yes. in the day. <laughs> well, I, I don't know about I always liked Karen. Yes. Karen had like she had backbone. Yeah, yeah, she did. She 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 had uh, she had thrasos, like they say in, you know, Electra said thrasos. Right. Guts. She had guts. And I liked how they, and I liked how he elevated, uh, who was the character in the wheelchair that worked in the office? Becky. Becky, that was also in love with Matt, right? Yes. What that, and there you go. Yeah. Everyone falls in love with Matt. Poor Foggy. Yeah, I know. Foggy's like, I, what the hell, man? I, and 
what about me too? You know, this <laughs> right. is, I can't even get me. And that's horrible. He's like, I can't get me too. Oh, but you know, <laughs> yeah, cause I remember, I remember for a very long time, I felt that uh, Becky was again, just sort of there and just constantly kind of whining about how much she loved Matt Murdock. But then there was that one issue with the, uh, like Mr. Slave, I forget his name, but the the guy with like the BDSM outfit. Yes. Oh my god! And, yes, and he, you know, he's committing crimes, and he's mistaken for Melvin Potter because they look exactly mm-hmm. alike, and Melvin Potter is trying to rehabilitate himself, and there's this whole really great story arc, and you come to find out that this guy, who is again dressed like a BDSM dude, and you come to find out that he um, is the reason that Becky is paralyzed. Yeah. And that was like a really cool, and she eventually, you know, calls the police and and, uh, and and tells the story. And that was a really cool story. And it came completely out of left field because again, like I said, Becky was just this person you felt sorry for because here she is in a wheelchair. You're not really sure what she does at the office and she just is in love with Matt. Yeah, she she was like, um, um, like a paralegal. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's pretty much all it was. Yeah. And you're, you had the feeling that um, Frank Miller was like, yeah, I'll, I'll do something with her. Yeah, she's she's set dressing. Right. That's that's all she is. She is just there. Yeah. Because then, you know, so back on Ben Urich, I just want to talk quickly. Like, mm-hmm. the, the individual, the single issue, I forget which, which one it is. Um, I think it's in the first volume, maybe the second one. But the issue where he discovers that Daredevil is Matt Murdock. Mm-hmm. One of my single favorite issues of like comics, period. Yes, like, it's just the the whole legitimate investigative journalism that he does, connecting the dots, chasing down the leads, finding the evidence. It's honestly what you know. Fun fact: it when I was in college, I wanted to be a journalist because of Ben Urich. That is cool. Like I wanted to do what he did. You know, like to take like the real investigative shit. Obviously, that that's not how my career turned out. But he is the reason why I wanted to be a journalist. Is why I went to school for for journalism was because of Ben Urich. Gotcha. Yeah. Oh, they. I know a lot of guys who became cops because of Batman. So right? yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not not just one, like yeah. many. Why? Well, because they thought Batman was gonna be this, so they didn't need to do anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like, hey, you know what? I'm I'm joining the police force because yeah. of Batman. Seems like an easy job yeah, exactly. Batman's around. Yeah, I know. He takes care of everything. And they're all yeah, even Spider Man occasionally <laughs> would like leave him gift wrap for me, so um so I, I also want to talk about one of my favorite parts about uh this book and what I consider to be revolutionary for the time as okay. far as comic book writing. And you, you don't really see it until Frank Miller takes over full writing duties. But one of the things I love about these books is the lack of exposition in the storytelling. It's The storytelling is very cinematic in that its pictures are doing most of the storytelling. Yeah. Where, you know... In this era, late 70s, early 80s, it was still very much the time of, you know, Daredevil takes out, you know, with amazing speed, Daredevil takes out his billy club and launches it across the, yeah. you know, it's like, you could, I'm looking at a picture. You could just put that in a freaking picture, right? And Frank Miller does not do a lot of that. And I really appreciate that. He tells the stories with, it, it, it's very cinematic, I think is the best way to describe it. He tells the stories with the picture, and that was not a common form of storytelling in comics uh, at that time. It, it's it's the norm now, you know. Which is really weird because it's it's very noir-esque. Yeah. It's very, uh, yeah, like um, Maltese Falcon. Yeah. It's very, you know, uh, you know, 
Philip Chandler. Yeah, especially in his fights with Bullseye. There are, there are some issues where there are just three to four pages, of, and there's not even dialogue. It's just Bullseye and Daredevil beating the shit out of one another, yeah. and you're telling the story with the pictures, and you know exactly what's going on. You don't need any words, and it's beautiful. Well, that's exactly what we got in season one of Daredevil when he goes to rescue the kid, yeah. and you've got that one hallway shot where he just goes it looked like a fucking pinball. He Beats and pardon me, can, are we allowed to curse? Oh, yeah, yeah, we're allowed to curse. Oh, oh yeah, well, fuck yeah. All right. Uh, so, I mean, he he's he's a pinball and he's he's back. He's fourth. He's kicking ass. He's taking names. You don't need that much dialogue there. As a matter of fact, you need none. None. Yeah. So all you see is this guy kicking people's asses and getting his ass kicked. Mm-hmm. He's okay. taking as good as he's given, but I mean, he's taking it. So that to me is is um, has always been like the mark of the best heroes are the ones who I mean you see Batman Batman gets his ass beat all the time hundred uh, percent Nightwing who is my one of my personal faves oh yeah we're gonna talk um, about him eventually yeah uh, but he, he got his ass whooped all the time I mean just just by yeah. Slade Wilson. You it's know. one of the reasons why Spider-Man is my favorite too. Constantly getting his ass beat and you know and and it's and he sh- he shouldn't be, but no. it's more, uh, he he's always great with the like you know the explanations for why he gets his ass beat because he's so fast. He can literally dodge bullets. That's how fast he is. But he's always trying to save somebody else or pull his punches and he's constantly getting his ass beat. I love the heroes that you know always prevail but have a tough time doing it. Yeah. And Daredevil is is 100% one of those. Oh, absolutely. He is. He may be the poster boy for that. <laughs> um, where was? Oh, Stick. We didn't talk about Stick. Ah, uh, Stick. I want he Stick for me is another one of those characters that just completely came out of left field. Yep. But I love him. Like, there's something about his gruff, you know, just gritty go fuck yourself attitude that he always has, even towards Matt, who's supposed to be like his almost surrogate son, right? And it and his whole like he looks like a janitor, like his whole outfit, right? Yeah, he he <laughs> really does. He he looks like um <laughs> he's Splinter in human form. Yes, exactly. Is what he is. I mean, he's he's not the the well, not really. He's not that noble. Yeah. He is there is almost no nobility to him except in his mission. Right. Everything else is a jerk-off. Right. Imagine uh, Batman, if if Bruce Wayne didn't have money and he didn't need the social niceties. (laughs) He didn't need to fall back on Bruce Wayne as, you know, uh, an alter ego. Right. If we just had Batman 100% of the time, he'd be stick. You're exactly right. I've never thought about it that way, and that's 100% accurate. Well, I try. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, all right, listen, I think we've got... Just about everything covered. The only other thing I wanted to do, you call it a segment, if you will, is if you could change one thing about uh, what Frank Miller does across his run on Daredevil, what would that be? And the answer could be nothing. Um, if I, I could... always like to think about, like, you know, something you would have done differently, or, or maybe maybe it's something you didn't like, and you know, something along those lines. Uh, n- there is almost nothing in here that I didn't like. What I would have loved to have seen is Daredevil uh, be integrated into the Marvel Universe at large, if you will. Yep. Um, you know, you had, there were cameos, of course. Uh, Roger McKenzie brought in the Fantastic Four, the uh, the Avengers, um, 
Power Man and Iron Fist came in and they they gave uh, Black Widow condolences after Daredevil got his ass whooped by the Hulk. Yeah, that was a cool uh, that was a cool issue. That was very cool. I would have loved to have seen uh, Spider Man make an appearance or two. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, for God's sakes, that's what Frank Miller wanted to do <laughs> was to work on Spider Man, and you could have pulled Spider Man in there easily. Easily. Very easily, because Spider-Man was going to uh, Empire State University right. at the time. And that's like a hop, skip, and a jump uh, yeah, from, from Hell's Kitchen. From Hell's yeah. Kitchen. So, and, or they might have a campus there. That it's, <laughs> and, and that's what I would have done. I would have had a campus <laughs> there. Satellite campus? Yeah, yeah, satellite campus in Hell's Kitchen that uh, only had, the, that had that one class that Peter Parkin needed. So, you know, you yeah. would have run afoul. And you did see him every once in a while, because they did that with the X-Men, too. Right. Um Byrne was big. John Byrne was big on doing that with, you know, the crowds. Um, Iron Fist, you know, you had um, Peter Parker and or a Daredevil was actually walking down the street. Yeah. Uh, a couple times. And, you know, um, I would have liked to have seen him interact just yeah. a little bit more. Uh, get a little bit of help from some other people. You did see uh, Punisher pop up, Power Man and Iron Fist, and, you know, Brian Michael Bendis did that to almost perfection. Yes. Where he brought in some, like, like psychopathically underused characters like Dakota North, um, Jessica Jones. That, I think, is, if, if there's one thing I would peg Brian Michael Bendis as an M.O. for, it's that. He, he has taken, he's elevated so many characters in the last 20 years that have been around mm-hmm. forever but were like you know at large considered like also rands they didn't have you know they, they weren't considered characters that could lead their own titles mm-hmm. they weren't part of big teams but look at what he did you know with like with luke cage yeah and you know to an extent daredevil spider woman right. right jessica jones all those those new avengers group right sure. he took all these characters out of virtual obscurity and we're like Bam, Avengers. And they're like the coolest fucking characters now. Yeah. <laughs> and I love the fact that he, he created the Avengers, the new Avengers, you know, uh, around Spider-Man. And Daredevil was supposed to play a big part of that. Right. Uh, Jessica Jones didn't, but she sort of did because of her boyfriend. Right, yeah. Slash husband, uh, Luke Cage. And, yeah, actually, um, I there was a rumor going around that Jessica Jones was supposed to be Jessica Drew. Oh. Alias was going to be... Um, Spider Woman. Interesting. Yeah, but they were gonna rehabilitate Spider Woman, right? And so I would have watched Jessica, either. Yeah. Jessica Drew became Jessica Jones, and so he's like, yeah, whatever. I would have watched either. Yeah. yeah. Uh, hey, I I don't know if that's true or not. It's <laughs> one of those urban myths, and uh, Bendis is like, no, no, it was always gonna be Jessica Jones. <laughs> sure, it was Brian Michael. Um, so the only thing I would have done differently here, and I think this is probably just a matter of perception because like we talked about before you know the book started as every other month mm-hmm. and then eventually went to monthly so when you're reading it as a trade paperback it's you don't have that time right in no. between it's just what's in between the pages the only thing I would have done differently which again I don't think this would stack up really when you think about release order um, is I would have waited a little bit longer to kill Electra. but that's again when I read the all at the same time I feel like there's a very short Time, very short amount of time has passed from when you first introduce her to when she's killed. It's still an incredibly impactful moment and beautifully done, but it just felt like, oh my God, I just met this character now, she's already dead. You know, like, but when I think back to. You had 13 months to get to care about Electra. So that's, again, just in my, you know, timing thing. But I also agree with you. There's nothing I dislike about this book. It's 
quite nearly perfect. <laughs> yes, and uh, one of the things that I that uh, Frank Miller like threw out there because that, that was his very first like full on I'm I'm writing this goddamn book myself, you bastards. Uh, <laughs> was that he introduced Electra and she was a bounty hunter. Yeah, she was not an assassin. She was a bounty hunter, which is kind of cool. But I when. <laughs> And this is going back to, uh, this was 1981, 1982. We're still thinking bounty hunters. We're not thinking dog. Right. We're thinking Lee Majors as Colt yeah. Seaver, right. the fall guy. You yeah. know? Yeah. <laughs> so that's our idea. Or Boba Fett, yeah. yes. And, um, you know, Boba Fett was not an assassin. He was a bounty hunter. He right. went out, caught a guy, and then, you know, gave he, him over He's no good to me dead. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, so we have that in our heads, but... An assassin, and most bounty hunters, if you're taking them to Jabba the Hutt, dude's going to end up dead gonna anyway. Be dead anyway. Yeah. Yep, might as well be. Yeah, he's shark bait. <laughs> so, um, but that's, yeah, we had a year and a half, or a year and a half, uh, a year and one month to fall in love with Electra and then <laughs> taken away from us. Man, well, listen, this has been an absolute blast. Uh, I can't wait to do more of these. Uh, next time you pick the book. Next time I picked, how about I pick the book now Ooh, for us to talk? You already talk got one of mine? Go. What do you got? I do. We're going we're gonna to do uh, Nightwing, Bloodhaven. Yes. Yes, 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 yes. So we'll, we will continue on the non-superpowered hero. But, uh, yeah, let's talk uh, Nightwing, Bloodhaven. We can even talk uh, a little bit further into. Yeah, I am totally down for that because I've got, I think, the first five volumes all that I Beautiful. got from here. Uh, last thing I'll call it, we're, we're at the stash right now. This is so cool, podcasting about comics. In the stash. It's yes. Like a, it's like a dream come true. This is Jay and Silent Bob's secret stash. You right. come down and you hang out with us at 65 Broad Street in Red Bank. Yes, yeah. Well, yeah, we'll get some. As we get more episodes under our belt, start releasing, we'll get some guests on, get some of the people to come on. It's oh, hell be, yeah. We're going to have a lot of fun with this podcast. I'm super excited about it. Me too. Uh, well, thanks for the time, everybody. And uh, I'm Matt. I'm Mike. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.